Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for the song. Thank you for the worship this morning. Choir's good and uh, God is good. Amen. It's a good morning. It's good to be with you guys. And if you got your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis chapter three. Genesis three. We're going to uh, begin this morning, and uh, my goal is is quite simple. Uh, the goal is to to magnify Christ this morning. That's uh, that's the goal. We begin to think about Christmas and everything that Christmas uh, is. Some things, unfortunately, maybe it's become. Uh, and sometimes in the, in the mix of all that Christmas has become and all that it is, the Christ of Christmas gets lost. And so this morning, the goal is quite simple, is to remember why the Christ of Christmas. Why? And so let's, uh, let's look together. And in Genesis chapter 3, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me to honor God's word. And to really understand the why, we must go back. We must go back and to, the, to the beginning. We must go back to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see uh, the beginning of why the Christ of Christmas unfold. Uh, we see the fall of man is spelled out for us here. And we understand that from, uh, from this time, sin had come into the world. We begin to understand why we need the Christ of Christmas. It says this in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Yea, uh, ye surely, uh, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And every man said, Amen, right? When your wife gives you some food, you eat it. Genesis chapter 3, we, we skip ahead a few verses to verse 23. And we see what the, the effect of this is. In verse 23, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the ground of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So drove he out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. We see sin came in. That sin immediately brought on expulsion and separation from God. And we know that God had a plan to correct this. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much this Christmas season that you saw fit to send your son to this broken, fallen world to redeem a lost sinner as myself. And God, I thank you for the perfect work of the cross. I thank you that Though you were rich, you became poor, so that we who are poor may be rich. I'm thankful, God, that you did a work on that cross that we could never accomplish in our own strength or power. And through you and you alone, we find redemption. And you are the reason for Christmas. May we not lose that in the sight of everything that Christmas is. May we remember the Christ of Christmas this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So, we look at the Christ of Christmas. I, found a, I came across a, a, a poem and it's called, Can This Be Christmas? Can This Be Christmas? And here's what it says. It says, what's all this hectic rush and worry? Where go these crowds who run and curry? Why all the lights, the Christmas trees, the jolly fat man? Tell me, please. Have you ever thought about Santa? He's kind of creepy, actually, right? He's always watching. He comes down to the chimney at night. It's kind of creepy. Right? But the jolly fat man, tell me, please. He says, why don't you know this is the day for parties and for fun and play? Why this is Christmas? So this is Christmas, do you say? But where is Christ this Christmas day? Has he been lost among the throng, his voice drowned out by empty song? No, he's not here. You'll find him where some humble soul now kneels in prayer who knows the Christ of Christmas. 
But see the many aimless thousands who gather on this Christmas day, whose hearts have never yet been opened or said to him, come in to stay. In countless homes with candles burning, in countless hearts expectant yearning, for gifts and presents, food and fun, and laughter till the day is done. But not a tear of grief or sorrow, for him so poor he had to borrow a crib, a colt, a boat, a bed, where he could lay his weary head. I'm tired of all this empty celebration of feasting, drinking, recreation. I'll go instead to Calvary. And there I'll kneel with those who know the meaning of that manger low and find the Christ this Christmas. I leap by faith across the years to that great day when he appears, the second time to rule and reign, to end all sorrow, death, and pain. In endless bliss we then shall dwell with whom who saved us, saved our souls from hell and worship Christ, not Christmas. You mean to think about what Christmas has become and it's become a celebration. And I'm not against some of the things of Christmas. We're going to celebrate as a family. We'll exchange some gifts. We're going to have some good food. Amen. Pecan pie. You got to have some pecan pie and all the good fixings, right? That's, that's all good. It's all fine. But I think in what oftentimes happens in our society and the hustle and bustle of what Christmas is and the, and the get togethers and the fellowships and the exchanging of gifts and all these things that so oftentimes the real reason of Christmas gets lost. We forget that God saw fit to send his son to this earth. And the reason he sent his son to this earth was to redeem lost sinners as you and I. He did it to save us from our sins. Because of our sin, we needed a savior. We had no way to get to God outside of Christ. We were damned in our sin, but God saw fit to send his son. And Christmas is all about that very thing. We need to know the why to understand something. My, my boy Moses, who you guys are going to get to know probably better than you want to sometimes. He always has to know the why. If you have kids, you understand this, right? You explain something to your kid and they're like, well, why, dad? And then you tell them the why. And then you tell them something else. Well, why, dad? They have to know the why. And today I want to look at the why of Christmas. I think for us to fully understand and have a, a true reverence of what Christmas is, we, we must understand the why. If you've been in church for a time, you know the why. But a good reminder, never hurt anybody. Never hurt anybody. I heard a bath doesn't last long, but it's good you keep taking them. Amen. So sometimes it's good to be reminded of some truths from the scripture, right? So we need to be reminded of some of these truths. And so this morning, the why, the Christ of Christmas. Tonight, we'll look at the how, the Christ of Christmas. How do we know who he is, his deity? And we'll look at some of those things. And so to fully understand this, we must go back, as we just did in, in Genesis chapter 3, we must go back thousands of years. We must go back 6,000 years to see the entrance of sin. God's creation, as we know, was perfect. When God created everything in six days, it was perfect. He stepped back in Genesis 1.31, and his words were, it is very good. He looked at his creation, which included man, and said it was very good. And in order for something to be very good, sin could not have been present. Because in nowhere in scriptures will you find God calling sin good. Amen? We know sin is bad. We know sin goes against his law and his standard. Matter of fact, the Bible spells out very clearly that God hates sin. He hates sin. Right? And so we know that he wouldn't step back after creation and look and see a sinful world and say it's very good. That would not, that would not happen. But yet in Genesis 1.31, he did say it was very good. We know that in the image of God created he man. In Genesis 1.26 and 27, he tells us that. It says in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We're created in his image and after his likeness. And so the most important thing of all of God's creation as vast and as beautiful as God's creation is, the most important thing of all of his creation is man. It's me, it's you, it's, it's the other 
seven plus billion people walking this planet today and all those who have gone before us. That's the crowning jewel of his creation. Man, the thing that God desired a relationship from the very beginning was man. He was walking and talking with Adam and Eve in the garden prior to the fall. He desired a relationship with mankind. So we know his creation was perfect. We know that the the thing that was created after his image and after his likeness, the only thing that he breathed a living soul into was mankind. And so he had a desire to have a relationship with men. Not only that, he provided for them. You look at the garden, it says you can eat of all the trees of the garden. He gave them plenty to eat, but he said there's one tree you can't touch. So he provided for them. He gave them everything that they needed, plus some. But you know how that is. The one thing we can't have is a thing that we, we want, right? And so we know what happens from there. We know he gave them life. He gave them provision. He gave them purpose. He told them to keep the garden, to dress it, and to keep them. He gave them purpose in life and because we need purpose in life. Amen? We need to know what our purpose is. He looked a man and said, it is not good that you're alone. So he gave him a woman. Amen? I don't know about you men, but I'd be a hot mess without my wife. And I know some of you already, and I already know you'd be a hot mess without your wives. All right? So we, we needed that. And so he saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. The first thing that was not good in the Bible was the fact that man was alone. So he says, you need to help me. I'm going to make a woman for you. And so we need that. And so we, we see that. So he provided a spouse in Genesis 2.18. He provided that for, her, for him. So God created man and woman after his image and his likeness. He, he made them a living soul. They became a living soul. He gave them a provision and purpose and provided for them and did all these things for them. Then he gave them some boundaries, not very many. One tree you can't eat from, but he gave them boundaries. And boundaries are good. Boundaries protect us. My kids have boundaries because I want to protect them. And God gave them boundaries. And boundaries are good for us. He's protecting them. He's watching over them. But yet he also gave them free will. He gave them the decision to make their own decisions of what they would do. How they would respond. He didn't uh, force them in any way, shape, or form. And so we know what happens. We know in Genesis 3.1, as we just read, it says, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. We know Satan, who carries with him many names in the Bible. He has many names. The, the tempter, the, the dragon, uh, deceiver, uh, devil, uh, liar. He, he carries many names with him because he deserves them all. We know he came in and he tempted Adam and Eve and he sought to trip them up. But he was successful in that. We know that Eve gave in, took of the fruit, and gave to her husband. And any time a woman does give food to a man, it's going to get eaten. So we knew what was going to happen there. And, and they took and they too did eat. And we see that the way in which Satan tempted them is the same way in which Satan tempts us today. He put doubt in their mind. In Genesis 3 verse 1, he says, Yea, hath God said. He began to question God's word. In the same way for you and I, he wants us to question God's word. Is this really the Bible? Did God really mean this? Is this really his holy word? It seems so old. It seems so outdated. It doesn't seem relevant for today. And when we bring all these doubts, these questions in our mind, and Satan's good at that. And he begins to doubt whether this is God's perfect holy word or not. But yet the Bible claims it is. It says it's inspired by God. He read it through holy men of old, through his holy, the Holy Spirit as the ultimate author. And so it is God's word. But yet Satan would love nothing more than to trip us up on what God's word really is, to make us question it and doubt it. And Satan loves to put a question mark where God put a period. He loves to bring doubt. And he did that with Adam and Eve. We know he distorted it. He distorted God's word. He says this. He says, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He began to twist God's word. And in the same way, we know he seeks to deceive those who are lost and to keep them lost. Denial. He brought in denial in verse 4. He says, yea, surely. You shall surely not die. God didn't mean that. God didn't mean that. And you begin to think about how it relates to us today. You've got more time to get saved. 
You don't need to be saved. Listen, surely God wouldn't send someone who's as good as you to hell. No way that would happen. And begins to, to question and to doubt and to deny and to put those things in our head. And we begin to think about those things. And obviously with Eve, we know what happened. She gave in. The desire was there. In verse 5 it says, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And begin to put that desire for greater things in the, in the mind of Eve. Which God said, no, that's your boundary. But yet Satan says, no, you need that. And begins to seek after those things. And so we see the entrance of sin. Satan desires to twist God's word and, and to do the same for you and I today. By attacking those things, the lust of the flesh, it was good for food. The lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life, it'll make you wise. So we see the way in which he tempted Adam and Eve is the same way he tempts us. It's the same way he tempted Jesus when he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. The same way. If you're hungry, command these stones be made bread. Right? He, he, he tried to give him the, cro- or the crown without the cross. Tried to bypass the cross. And, and we see the same way that Satan tempted Adam and Eve is the same way he tempted Christ in the wilderness, and it's the same way he'll tempt us. And so his desire is for us to trip, trip up. And I want to look now at the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin. We know that the, the Bible spells out clearly in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two: for as in Adam, all die. We see the consequences here. We see death and we see separation. And we see a physical and a spiritual death take place. And in Genesis 3, we, we, we see the text there in verse 20. Uh, two through four. Understand that the most significant consequence is when he separated them from himself. You realize what sin does? Sin takes you and I, and the Bible likens it unto a wall of partition in the book of Ephesians. And it separates me from God. It puts a barrier between me and God. Isaiah 59 two says, I, he's hid our face from us so that we, he cannot hear us. And so sin separates us from God. Do you realize the greatest punishment you and I could ever face is just simply being separated from God? The very moment we no longer have access or a right or reconciled with a holy and a perfect God, that's the greatest punishment there could ever be. And the Bible spells out that the minute they sinned, he came searching for them, addressed them, handled it, and they were expelled. They were separated. They were removed from the garden. That separation took place. They were banned from the tree of life. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden and they were barred from the presence of God. Sin came in and they had to be separated from a holy and a perfect God. God is perfect. He is holy and he must judge sin. He is a holy God and he will judge sin. God clearly scripturally hates sin. And when sin came in, he had to remove them from his presence. He's a holy God. So we're going to get to how that speaks to us today. Because for each one in this room, we're going to see here in a moment that we're all under the same curse of Adam and Eve. That same curse has passed from us. We know that there are some consequences that came with Adam. Toil and producing food with Eve. Pain and sorrow and childbirth. And I'm sorry, ladies. You can blame Eve and you get to heaven for all that. Right? The ground was uh, the thorns and the thistles. Creation would groan and travail, the Bible says. And you see there's consequences from that. But I'll remind you, the greatest consequence was separation from God. To be separated from a holy God. We know that all of our problems today have their root in sin. You begin to think about something for a minute. Every relationship you know that's not where it should be, every marriage that has not made it, every person who's died an untimely death, sickness or disease, the word cancer, you realize all those things stem back to sin. You start tracing that back, and I'm not saying everyone that has cancer is living in sin. That's not what that means. But it all has its roots in sin. Before sin, there was no death. I can't even, we can't imagine what life would be like had sin never entered in. 
Because all we know is a sin-filled, fallen, broken world. That's all we know. All we know is that I'm a sinner. I'm vile. All we know is these things. We have no idea what it would be like. We will know when we get to heaven one day, amen? But we don't know today. Because all we know is this sinful, fallen, broken world. All of our problems that we face today, all the difficulties, the challenges, everything stems back to sin. It all comes back. The greatest problem in our world today is, quite frankly, nothing else other than sin. And the only solution is Jesus. We see the problem is sin. Sin is not to be downplayed. It is not to be joked about or lessened in significance. It's not to be toyed with. It's not how close can I get to it without stepping over it. Sin is not to be messed with. The Bible makes clear that he hates it. God hates sin. And so we're called to have the same view of sin as he does. Sin is a serious problem with serious consequences. We know the lies of Satan. He wants to tempt us to trip up on those things. We know that Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. Again, we can't imagine what a life would be like outside of sin. Because 24-7, 365, it's what we know. Our society is fallen and broken in sin. But yet we know it was very good after he created it. It went from Genesis 131 being very good to in Genesis 4, the first murder. How quickly it changed. How quickly sin messes things up. How quickly sin can get in and mess with our lives. And we know that that's no different for you and I today. I know probably what some of you are thinking this morning is, it's Christmas and this guy's beating me up about sin this morning. Yeah? Yeah. Because that's what Christmas is all about. We'll see this morning that Christmas is about our sin being dealt with. And you and I can't deal with it. We cannot overcome it. I can't, I can't do enough good things to offset all the bad I've done. Can't do it. I can't earn my way, work my way, scratch and claw my way to heaven. I can't get right with the Holy God because of my sin. Every one of us are in the same situation. And so, yes, we are speaking about sin this Christmas. And it get, that, that'll be a common theme. Amen. We need to deal with sin. Sin's not to be messed with. But before it gets better, unfortunately, it gets worse. Let's continue. It does get worse, but it does, it, it, it does eventually, uh, there, there is a solution here we'll get to shortly. We know the future of mankind at the fall was ever changed. From the fall of Adam and Eve, there's severe consequences that flowed from that. We know sin passes through all the generations. We know that from, from, from that point in time on. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible says that sin came in with Adam and Eve, and it now passes through all the generations. And we see that it's going to only continue to do that. Romans 5, 19 says the same thing. For as by one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, many were made sinners, speaking of all of us. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And that's speaking of Christ. And so we see sin began with Adam and Eve, and now it passes through all the generations. We know in Psalm 51.5, we find out that we are sinners from birth. It says, Behold, he was, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We know that the very minute we are born, we're, we're born in sin. We don't sin and become sinners. We're sinners at birth, and therefore we sin. How many of y'all have ever worked in a nursery? Okay, you understand this concept, right? Filthy, filthy rotten little sinners in that nursery, right? They are what they are. They can't help it. That's who they are, right? Those little kids, you don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to claw and to scratch and to hit. They've, they've got that down to bite, right? They, they've got that all figured out on their own. No one taught them those things. That sin nature's inside of that child, right? We, so we see we're sinners from birth, right? We are, we are gone our own way straight from the womb. Job 14, 4 says, uh, can an unclean thing bring forth a clean thing, right? It can't, it can't. We see we were born in sin. 
But if you think for a minute with me and say, okay, well, it's not my fault. I, I, can't, I can't do anything about Adam and Eve. That's already done. So that's not, why is God holding me accountable for that? And then you say, well, I can't help the fact that I'm born in sin. I can't change that. Why is God holding me accountable for that? That doesn't seem fair to me. Why would God hold me accountable for something Adam and Eve did? Why would God hold me accountable if I was born in sin? Well, there's more. The Bible also tells us very clearly in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need to understand that we have sinned as well because God gave us a free will by our own choices. We've made decisions every day, just like Adam and Eve, to go against a holy and a perfect God. I make decisions every day. You make decisions every day in deed and thought and action and word, whatever it may be. We make decisions every day that go against God's perfect standard. We know what he tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. He says there's, there's uh, none righteous, no, not one. In Romans three twelve, he says they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. He says this in Romans three nineteen. He says, now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now hear me on this. We're sinners from the beginning. I can't change that. We're sinners from birth. I can't change that. And then I'm sinner because I've made decisions to sin. I look back on my life of 44 years and I begin to reflect back on my life and I see all that sin and all that baggage and all that stuff I've done, every thought, every deed, every word. And to think that God is a holy God and somehow he's just going to overlook that and sweep it under the rug. I don't think so. And so we have a holy God who must judge sin. We're all under sin. Every one of us have done so. First John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. Anything we do that goes against God's standard is a sin. Every thought, every word, every deed, as I had said, everything we do that goes against God's standard is sin. We see that because of this, we all have sin. These are called sins of commission, things we do. You realize we commit sins every single day. I've done the math on this, and if I were to sin three times a day for 44 years of my life, I will have committed over 50,000 sins at this point in my life. And you think about any judge, any judge in a court of law, if you violated the law 50,000 plus times and you stand before that judge, is any good judge going to say, it's okay, I'll overlook 50,000 sins? I don't think so. Any judge that's worth his weight in gold would say, you are guilty, you are condemned. Right? And we say, well, won't God just overlook my sin? No. God's a holy and a perfect judge. He's righteous in every way. And so he will not just sweep our sin under the rug. And so we're sinners from the beginning. We're sinners from birth. And then every single day we make decisions to sin. sin. Not a person in this room, myself included, can stand before a holy God and claim innocence. We can't. We cannot do so. You begin to ponder your life with me and begin to think about every lie, every impure thought, every ill word spoken, every piece of gossip spread, Every pride that's crept into the heart, every motive that was wrong or impure. You begin to think about your life and think about all these things. And if we're being honest with each other this morning, and I pray and hope that we are, Romans 3.19 says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. When I realize that I look back and reflect upon my life, I realize I have nothing to say. He's a holy God and I am a fallen man. He is a holy God And I am completely condemned in my sin. I have completely gone against God's standard. As if that wasn't enough, he says in James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all of it. He even gives the standard even higher. He says, listen, if you've only fit in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. 
Well, now I'm in big trouble because I've offended a lot more than one point. Amen. So you begin to think about it. He says, if you've done it at one point, you're guilty of all. So there's no room for error here. You and I have sinned and by, by, by clearly committing sins. But then you've got to realize we've also sinned oftentimes by not doing something. Do you realize that you can do nothing in sin? These are what's called sins of omission. The things that we know we're supposed to do and yet we choose not to do them. The Bible says this in James 4.17. It says, therefore, to him, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's things that God tells us in his word that you are to do. Read your Bible, pray, come to church, right? And there's more. So, so all these things, he says, you are to do them. And so by sitting at home and doing nothing, I can sin by not doing the things he's told me to do. Those are sins of omission. And so there's things I've done that have gone against God's word. There's things I have not done that have gone against God's word. And all these things just pile up and pile up and pile up and pile up. And I've heaped upon myself sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. And yet he's a holy God. And I think someday he's just going to give me a pass into heaven. It's not how it operates. We know he's a holy and a perfect God. And so there's sins we've committed. There's sins where we've omitted to do things that we know we're supposed to do. And so if you're like me today, you've been leg swept. The verdict is clear. The verdict is guilty as charged. I stand before God. He's holy. He's perfect. I'm in the courtroom. All these charges are to my case. And I stand before him and I have nothing to say. I stand before him guilty. There's nothing I can tell him to offset the things that I've done. There's nothing I can plead with him and say, but, but don't you know I meant to do good? doesn't matter. I still violate the law. The ignorance of the law does not give you a freedom to violate the law. He says, no, that is not the case. I am guilty as charged. I stand guilty. I'm damned in my sin. I deserve nothing but death, hell, forever. That's my verdict. But herein lies Christmas. You think about what Christmas is all about. It's not about all the things that we make it. And all those things aren't bad. And I'm not saying don't do those things. But my friend, let us never forget what Christmas is about. You and I and all mankind are the why of Christmas. God looked down and says he loved us so much. That he sent his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish by everlasting life. He looked down and he saw me in all of my filthiness and my vileness and my sinfulness. And he saw you in all your filthiness and your vile. And, your, and he says, I love him too much. I love the world. He saw the teens. He loved the world. He saw the kids. He loved the world. He saw all the people of this world who have fallen in sin, which is every one of us. He says, I love him too much. And so he sent his own son to this world to do a work that only he could accomplish. And we'll get to that tonight. From the fall, actually from before the fall, from the foundation of the world, because God is all-knowing, he knew the plan that was going to unfold. Genesis 3.15, he gave a prophecy, the first prophecy of Jesus' coming, we find in Genesis chapter 3. You have the fall of man. Man fell, and immediately, a few verses later, he says this. And I will put, speaking to, to Satan, he says, I will put enmity between thee and thy woman, between thy seed and her seed, Jesus, the seed of Mary. So it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Do you realize what happened on that old rugged cross 2,000 years ago? On that cross, he hung up on that cross, beaten unlike any other man was beaten. Marred unlike any other man was marred, Isaiah says. He had a crown of thorns upon his head. They had spit upon him and mocked him and humiliated him and hung him naked, embarrassed for, to hang. And he humbled himself to that cross. And on that cross, he could have came off the cross. One word, he created light with the spoken word. He created all of uh, creation with his spoken word. One word could have got him off the cross, but he didn't come off the cross. He stayed on the cross and the nails didn't hold him to the cross. The soldiers didn't hold him to the cross. The love for us held him to that cross. 
And on that cross, every time he would breathe, you think about hanging for a while, he'd have to push up to get oxygen and come back down and push up. And his heel would dig into that cross every single time. Every time he would get a breath, he had to push up to get another breath. And he eventually died of suffocation when they pierced the spear through his side. What came out? Blood and water, a sign of suffocating to death. And so he finally gave up on the, on the cross and, and died on that cross. We think about what happened on that cross. On that cross, his, bru- his heel was bruised. But on that cross, the head of Satan was crushed. Amen. Death, hell, and the grave was defeated. We know what happened. God sends his son through the seed of a woman to crush the head of the serpent, all the while bruising his heel. But yet creating a way for you and I. And tonight we'll break down the incarnation of Jesus, the deity of Jesus. We'll show who he is. Because my friend, if Jesus is not God, then that death on the cross meant absolutely nothing. But if he is God, it means absolutely everything. It changes everything. If he is God, my friend, do not leave out of here. If you're not sure of your salvation, you're not going to work your way to heaven. You're not going to be good enough to get there. God's not going to overlook our sin. And so if you've never come through the perfect work of Christ on the cross for your salvation, listen, do not leave out of here. Get that settled today. And we'll get to that in a moment. So we see he did a work on the cross that only he could do. The purpose of Christmas, the why of Christmas was God sending his son to this earth, a holy God, taken upon the form of a man. He was made in likeness of men. But yet he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so he comes to the cross for you and I. We know the scriptures tell us in John three sixteen, a verse read ago, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son for you and I to be redeemed. Romans 5, 8 says that uh, God commendeth or proved his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The purpose of Christmas is Christ. He is the reason for Christmas. Let us not lose that in the sight of everything that goes on. The perfect gift, the perfect Christ of Christmas is him. We are joint heirs with Christ. If you're here in Christ, hear me this morning. You're joint heirs with Christ. If you're in Christ, you have eternity with heaven to wait. Amen? We don't have to fear death, hell, or the grave. Sin is defeated. All of my baggage, all of my sin, all of those 50,000, quite frankly, plus, I'm sure it's not three a day, all that sin is gone. He says, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I can stand holy without blame before him in love. And it has nothing to do with me. I'm not perfect. I'm not good. But Christ is. And we'll see that tonight. And so the Christ of Christmas, we're joint heirs with him. Our sin is defeated. Eternal life is given. Redemption is claimed. Sin is forgiven. You have peace with God only through him. Restoration with God. Acceptance by God. Eternal life. Salvation in Christ. The barrier of sin is ripped down. And the blessings of God are poured out. You think about what Christmas is all about. It has nothing to do with a fat man. It has everything to do with a perfect Lord and Savior coming to this earth to die for our sins. It has everything to do with Christ. And I pray this Christmas we never forget these things. And there's a few verses I want to I want to bring to your remembrance in closing. This is Christmas. Second Corinthians eight nine. I love this verse. It says, "For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich." Our Lord had it all in heaven. Perfect, holy, sinless, on the, on the throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Christmas is this. He sat all that down. And though he was rich, the Bible says he became poor. He was born in a dirty, nasty, smelly manger. Born with no place to lay his head, with no place to call home. Homeless, 
traveling around, no place to lay his head. Everything he had was borrowed, especially the tomb, amen? It was all borrowed. He had nothing. He gave all of that up, everything he had, set the crown down and says, I'll, be, I'll go in likeness of man. I'll redeem them from their sins. He was rich and he became poor. He left all that and came to this sin-marred, broken earth and lived a life unlike any of us. The Bible says that he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He was born sinless, and we're going to look at that tonight, which confirms his deity. And then he came and he lived a sinless life. And then he died a perfect sacrificial death that only he could do because he is God. And because of that, we can be right with God. We can be saved. We can know of our salvation. We can come to Christ and be genuinely born again. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come. What is Christmas about? It's about the coming of Christ. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we're all lost. Every one of us are lost in our sins. And so we know that Christ is the why of Christmas. We were lost. He came to save. He came to redeem a lost, broken world from their sins. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so should we speak on sin on Christmas? Absolutely. Because we needed Christ for our sins, for our salvation. We must come through Christ. He came to the world to die. You think about Christmas. That little baby, we're going to do some studying on him tonight. I want to encourage you to be back tonight to hear some of this. But that little baby that Mary had, you think about how that unfolded. Those of you who have had children, you understand this. You have those little babies and, and they're just precious. They're beautiful. There's no mama that's ever said an ill word of their baby, right? You may look at a baby picture and be like, ooh, it's an alien. But they're like, it's so precious, you know? You think about Mary with baby Jesus and the little hands that she held would one day be pierced. Those little fat, chubby feet of Jesus when he was a baby would one day be pierced through on that cross. That little head that she probably rubbed at night would one day have a crown of thorns upon its head. That little face of Jesus would one day be spit upon and smote and, and, and beaten for you and for I, for all mankind. She didn't, she didn't fully understand these things then, I'm sure. She knew that he was going to be the savior of the world, but she didn't know how it was going to unfold. You think about that little baby Jesus. We celebrate Christ and we think about the coming of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. God left the throne to be one of us to save us. That's what he did. He came to redeem a lost and dying world. He came that we might be saved. And I want to challenge you this morning. If you're here with us and you've never given your life to Christ, you're not certain of your salvation. I want to read a couple of verses to you as we wrap up. Here's what the Bible says. We understand there is no other way of salvation other than Christ. If there was, he didn't need to come. But because he came, he is the only way. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, it says there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must, not should, but must be saved. He is the only way of salvation. He is it. Because he came, he is the only way of salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We must believe in our hearts who Jesus is. We must confess with our mouth and ask him to be our Lord and our Savior. And he says this, you do that and you'll be saved. He says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen to me this morning. When I was a little boy, I was in a church, and uh, the pastor was speaking to me one day after a service. And he says, Matt, do you want to go to heaven? And he was this towering big man. I was probably seven or eight years old. He was this big preacher. And I looked up at him, and I was scared to death. So I said, yes. 
He says, hey, say this prayer with me. And so I prayed a prayer with him. But as I've shared with some of you all before, there was no heart behind it. I didn't know what I was praying. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know who Jesus was. I just said, yes, I'll pray a prayer with you and didn't know what was going on. I was not genuinely saved. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, it says if you believe in, or it says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's a heart matter. It was at the age of 30 that I realized I was lost. And then I cried out to him for salvation. It was a matter of the heart. And then my salvation was genuine. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you have doubts of your salvation, get it settled tonight or this morning. You don't have to leave out of here not knowing of your salvation. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, that if you believe on the name of the Son of God, you can know that you have eternal life. I can know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good, because I believe in the one that God sent to redeem me from my sins. And so if you're here this morning and you're not certain of your salvation, my friend, there'll be some folks up here in just a minute that can help you get that settled. Come get it done. Get it dealt with. Or stick around after service. Talk to me. We'll talk about it. If you're not certain, or maybe you say, well, I think, or I hope, or I, I hope I'll be in heaven one day. Listen, I'm not banking my eternity on a hope. I'm banking it on a I know. I know Christ. And so if you're not certain of your salvation, come forward, talk to these men, see me after service, do whatever, and we'll get that settled. And maybe Christians this morning, you just want to come, and I know the, the altar, sometimes people are afraid of an old altar. But I love altars. I think altars are a place of strength, not weakness. And so maybe you just want to come this morning, and you just want to bow at an altar with your family, and just praise God that he saw fit to send his son to this earth to save us from our sins. Because had he not, we'd be damned in our sins. And so I'm thankful this Christmas that God sent his son. Aren't you? Amen. So I encourage you this morning, whatever decision you need to make, if you need to make a decision for a closer walk, baptism, join a church, whatever it is, if you need to come get saved, you need to be sure of your salvation, whatever decision you need to make, I want to encourage you and challenge you to make that this morning. If you guys are standing by your heads and close, with, and close your eyes with me in, uh, in prayer. Uh, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Matt, I, I don't know of my salvation. This morning as I heard this message, I, I'm not certain. I don't know for sure. I don't know that I'd be in heaven. I don't know what would happen if I were to die today. I, I don't know of these things. I'm not 100% certain of my salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I would never do that. I want to pray for you. Anyone this morning that would lift up your hand and say, Matt, I don't know. I'm not certain of my salvation. Teens, adults, anyone in this room say, Matt, I don't know. I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, you can come. And there's some folks up here on this altar that can help share Christ with you. And my friend, you do not have to leave out of here without knowing of your salvation. The Bible says today can be the day of your salvation. You can get that settled today. And so if you're not certain, I want to encourage you to, to come. And maybe Christians this morning... You just want to grab your family and come up and just praise the Lord for sending his son for us. I want to encourage you as God would lead in your heart, do as God would lead. Whatever God's laid on your heart, follow his lead. And listen to that still small voice that Holy Spirit speaks to us. And whatever God would do in your life, may you just respond accordingly. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you so much. Lord, you saw fit to send your son to do a work that only he could do. I'm thankful I know in my life that I've come to you for salvation and you've saved my soul from my sin. Lord, I know I have eternal life one day and it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the perfect work of Christ. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you saw fit to do so. I'm so thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who's not certain of their salvation. God, I pray that they would come forward or stick around or whatever it is, get that dealt with today. Lord, the Bible tells us to not boast of tomorrow if we know not what a day may bring forth. Lord, we don't know what the future holds. Lord, we know you hold it. 
We know your heartbeat is that we'd be saved. And so I pray for anyone in this room who's not saved, they'd be saved. I pray for the Christians in this room. We remember the reason of Christmas. We wouldn't let Christ get lost amongst all the decorations, the lights, the trees, the gifts, the food, the fellowship. None of those things are necessarily bad. But Lord, if they take place of you, they become bad. And so Lord, help us to remember the Christ of Christmas this year. Help us to remember the reason, the real reason that we celebrate Christmas. Was it so that he was rich, became poor, so we were poor might become rich. Father, do a work that only you can do. We, we submit this invitation time over to you. May your perfect will be done in every single life and every single heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all sing together this morning. And if you need to come for any reason, feel free to come for salvation, decision. You want to pray and just thank the Lord, feel free to come. Whatever is on your heart.